Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I'm full of goat. Oh. Wow. Mm. We had our 4th of July celebration by inviting people over over 
to eat day with us. Oh, night, wow. night is in the freezer. Day, we... Well, I think the northern term is barbecue. Now, I'm from the south, and what we did wasn't barbecue by southern standards, but I think that any time you cook outside, it's called barbecue in the north. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely mm-hmm. different in the south. <laughs> definitely different wow. in the south. And, oh, wow, you know, I had this moment where I'm sitting there on the deck at Pearl's, and I'm looking out into the field between pearls and the nettle patch where the goats love to be, right? And I realize that I am eating that field. As I am eating day, that I'm eating that, because that's what day ate, right? Absolutely. And it was just, oh. I felt so supported and nurtured and taken care of by the land. Oh, so beautiful. You made your first cheese. I did. It was And so you might have even fun. made your second cheese by now. <laughs> I did. I did. I went I went for two. And it okay. was so fun. I have Yeah, I haven't tasted either one, but they are wrapped in an and I'll probably taste them tomorrow. I don't know why I'm waiting. They smell so good. <laughs> uh, milk is so much fun. Oh, it so is. And then I realized, like, with all of the way that it's going to be so useful because we cook food for the dog. So I'll be using that yes. instead of water. Oats? Yeah. Oh, instead of water, you can use I mean, whey is the one of the highest quality foods on the planet, and I never talk about it because very few people have access to it. Mm. Wow. Well, I was you. You probably all. remember that all the grain that's cooked here is cooked in whey. Yeah. Yeah. When you open the rice pot, I, it's like, what is this serving? Because it really looks like a witch's brew in there. Because you expect to open the lid and see, you know, rice. And instead you open the lid and there's like whey, which kind of gets like like a little curdy, like a little like cottage cheese on the top. And then we have like nettle seed and plantain seed and lamb's quarter seed and amaranth seed, which are all these little black seeds. So it's really like, <gasps> <laughs> I'm looking so forward to making our first rice with the whey and oh it's just amazing I feel so much more connected to our kitchen already just amazing All right. now amazing. the whey that you collected did it have any salt in it uh, no it did not okay All right. I keep the whey that comes out of the salted cheese separate because it's not so good for cooking, because the salt actually acts as a barrier to the grain absorbing the liquid. Oh, and whey, whey has some milk fat in it. Remember, when you boil it, you get some um, curd. You can actually make a, a kind of cheese just by getting a lot of whey and boiling it and, and uh, skimming off the curds that rise up and turn that into a cheese. Mm. Um, so it takes longer to cook your grain in the way. Okay. 
I kind of remember back in the days when I didn't cook rice and whey that I cooked it for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. But now, yeah, exactly. but now our, our, the rice cooks for an hour because that's about how long it takes in the whey. And oh. it will take longer if it's 100% whey. We will often do half whey, half water. Oh, good to know. Thank you so much for sharing these tips with me. I'm so looking forward oh, to just making so much use of all this nourishment. It's, oh, what a gift. And the land and the goats and, oh, and then me being out there in the morning and finally milking with two hands at the same time. It feels so Yay! good. That's you yeah. and the goat. It's both of you have to learn to do that. She has to learn to stand mm. still enough. So congratulations to both of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything, for getting me going, knowing how marvelous goaties are and deciding to get myself. So we all know that I pick up the mail on Tuesday. I go to P.O. Box 64 in Woodstock and pick up the mail. And today's mail had... Three personal letters from three people that I've known for more than 30 years. One from a person who used to run a large workshop center but has since retired from that. And two from past apprentices. The one from the person who used to run the workshop center where I used to teach. Um was the kind of note that we usually exchange. Yes, once again, I am clearing my desk, going all the way down to the bottom, and oh my gosh, here's your letter from 2020 that I never answered. Well, now I'm answering. (laughs) We have that kind of relationship, right? (laughs) That we stay in touch, but it's not like the relationship Patch and I have, where we answer each other's queries Almost immediately. And certainly this is a place where we go, okay, this is the last one. Right, but there's this like immediate, but this other person, no, we have this very long, right, and because we've known each other for all this time, it's easy for that to be very long. And it was a a kind of funny postcard of um, some Renaissance painting a naked woman with a snake. Didn't look like Eve. Yeah. He says, mm-hmm. I do not know why I have sent you this card, but here it is. So that was kind of a chuckle and nice to hear from this person that I like and respire and respect a huge amount. Um, as a matter of fact, to me, um, this person is notable because for as long as I, I knew him, he said, I don't want to be a, a, the director of a workshop center. I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. And this was kind of one of our connections, right? Like, you're a writer. I want to be a writer. And I'm like, go for it. Be a writer. Nothing harder. Hardest thing in the world to be a writer. Right. Um, cleaning bathrooms. You'll see. You sit down to write. Cleaning the bathroom looks like the world's best thing to do, much better than writing. So he finally got his whole life arranged with the workshop center and everything that he could have, like, I don't know, it was like nine or ten months sabbatical. And he went off to Italy. And I remember after some some months that he wrote to us and he says, I have found 
the most amazing, most wonderful, and the best thing in the world I have found. I don't want to be a writer. Oh, wow. I like to write, but that does not mean I wish to do it every day. Mm. Mm. So I've always held that close because I think that some of the most important things that we learn are what we don't want to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, because there's so many things we do want to do. We can just find the things we don't want to do and don't do those. Well, the rest of it's pretty easy. <laughs> and then, well, one of the apprentices, um, I actually um, talked to a couple of people whose opinion I trust because I, my reaction to the card from this apprentice um, was uh, very strong and very emotional. And the front of the card says, "You're great, fun, loyal, all these wonderful adjectives, right?" And then you open the card and she says, but, and she proceeds to basically say that all these years she's been pretending to be my friend to get whatever she could out of me, and now she has no further need of me. What? Someone wrote you a letter to tell you this? Oh, not just to tell me that, but to tell me what I stinking piece of shit I am. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, of course, both of the counselors that I shared this with um, immediately said, we're looking at projection here. You understand this, right? I said, okay, got it. She is. Right? Okay, we're looking at projection here, Susan. And this is one of the functions that I serve. I know I serve as that mirror where people cut their ugliness onto me and then are able to destroy it in some way. And you know what? Wow, the universe gives me the strength to do that. Mm. Fun. But this is a person I've known for a very long time, and I have a very deep, deep connection and real, really care about. So I am not gonna, I'm not gonna believe um, that I was so stupid as to not notice that she was pretending. I really, I, I, I really think it's changed. Right. And that she now looks back and says she was pretending, but I don't actually think she was. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, talking with my counselors helped to me to understand that because I was saying, like, how could I have not noticed it? And then I said, well, how could I have not noticed? What? I would have noticed. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, we've spent, like, intense times together. Mm-hmm. For hours and hours and hours in cars together, doing things together. Really. Very. Mm. Right. I would have noticed. I would have noticed. You would, I'm not that stupid. You, I'm not that stupid. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> She's not betraying me. No, She's betraying not. herself. She's betraying 
relationship, but I'm not going to let her betray my memories. Oh, wow. That is so wise. I admire your strength. That's, wow. Wow. So amazing to just see how you are able to receive that. And I've seen you do it in person, but to hear it come in a letter from someone that you've known so long with such a depth of a relationship. I'm glad and you have counselors. I'm telling you absolutely truthfully, I feel kicked between the legs, stabbed in the heart, and spit on. I do. Oh. But that doesn't mean that I have to do those things back. Mm. Which is always our impulse, isn't it? Yeah. Our impulse is always vindicate, get back, revenge. That will always be the first thing that appeals to us, of course. Mm. We don't have to do that. It's not required. And it doesn't make me feel good. And I can't imagine that she actually feels good about having said these things to me. Mm. I know that she's very involved in a story in which she's telling herself, well, it's about time I finally told her the truth, da-da-da-da-da. I really, I get that that's the story that she's currently involved in. I understand something far different. Mm. Mm. And I want to be really clear with people that I don't do this by myself. I have help, and I seek that help when I see that I have been smacked and that I'm in deep emotional waters, I don't try to save myself. Right? Yeah. So I have trusted people that I can say, what do you think about this? You know, when they, one of them, you know, looked at it and said, this is one of the most vicious things I've ever seen. And I said, yeah. You know, it didn't strike me. I didn't like kind of get that, but I, I see where you're coming from. I said, you know, if I'd been in a relationship with someone for more than 30 years, and for some reason it was time to end that relationship, um, I think I'd do it with some respect for all the all that time that we had together. Absolutely. And if she really is angry at me, then it's a lot of B anger, isn't it? That brown stamp anger, oh, you did this twenty five years ago and you did that twenty years ago. And like, did you ever say anything? So it's be anger can be difficult because you think all this time and you never said anything. Right. But people think Mm. that's being nice, right? Uh Uh-uh. 
But it's not nice because it always comes out in a nasty way. And often, here I've saved up all my brown stamps. And then a letter from an apprentice who apprenticed maybe a year after this other one that I'm talking about, and she said, I just want you to know that you're with me every day and that everyone around me, and especially my family, benefits from everything I learned there. I know it's been years and years and years, but we're still making nourishing herbal infusions. We still go out and harvest plants for wild salads, and herbal medicine is people's medicine where I am. Thank you. Oh, Aww. Aww. <laughs> I love. It. Yes, that is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So there's the universe. Huh? Good, bad, and not indifferent, but casual. Yes, with an interesting picture. With <laughs> <laughs> an interesting picture. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. We have a very exciting guest who's going to be with us tonight, and that's Susan Campbell. She is the best-selling author of 11 books, and she also has published three card games. The games promote authentic relationships Hmm. tools for emotional self-healing using trigger reactions as a path to wholeness stay with us until nine o'clock and listen to susan campbell or come around back that's nine o'clock east coast time anything else you want to talk about sarah ellen um Thank you for asking. I I feel good. I'm glad I got to share about the cheese. And I'll, oh, I will thank the caller last week who asked you um, to go through how you make cheese. That was really helpful and timely. So thanks. <laughs> okay, and the and the instructions were complete enough for you to follow. They were. They were. I um. Okay. Yep. I, I of course there's a little room for playing in there. Um. But they were. There is. For me well, you know that's why cheese recipes are family secrets. We stir for 14 mm. seconds, but in this much rennet, right? We let it. <laughs> you'll see wow. as you make cheese, every little thing makes a difference. Wow. Well, you had said you last. Somebody says, "How do you make so many different kinds of cheeses?" And I say, "No, no, no. That's easy. Making different kinds of cheese." That's how it works. What's really hard is making Kraft American singles. <laughs> well, like a Kraft American so... single, your cows must live in the barn and be fed silage so that their milk tastes exactly the same every day of the year. Mm. Yeah, it's so much. Yes, soon you'll say, oh, my gosh, these are, these are winter cheeses. They taste different because they do. Mmm. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Mmm. <laughs> so blessed. I love it. Thank you. Susan. And then I just have one more thing to say. Doga and I have been working on the Hypericum Goddess. And Doga, in fact, the Hypericum Goddess, I sent you a copy of what she did. And mm-hmm. I had... 
this little inkling when I looked at it and I wrote to her and I said, well, if we were doing it over, I'd have her standing with her arms raised. And that image of her standing with her arms raised took me over, Sarah Ellen. Mm. She wouldn't leave me alone. Oh. Wow. And in fact, I kind of get this image of a t-shirt with the standing one with the flame shooting out of her fingertips on one side and the seated calm one on the other side. She's so well known for calming people down, but I think of her as she conquers viruses. She takes care of you. I really, I experience hypericum as this fiery energy, not not that it isn't calming. Right, right. But it's not a they there there calm you down. Mm-mm. So I rehired Durkett to do another one. Standing. Wow. Wow. How interesting. <laughs> what can I say? You know, she wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> I love this. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had I hoped to have a banner by now, but we don't have a banner by now, and that's okay, you know. One learns to just roll with it. Okay. <laughs> now I'm ready to answer questions. All right. Well, I would like to remind everyone listening, um, if you would like to ask Susan a question this evening, you will need to press 1 to get yourself lined up in the queue. Um, that way we can see your hand is raised if you press 1. Um, at this time, I don't see any hands that have come up. So. Oh, savor the moment. No problems anywhere in the world. Yes. Somebody said the most stunning thing. She said, oh, I went to a fireworks display and about five minutes into the fireworks display, I suddenly thought of the people who have real bombs going off, and I didn't enjoy it anymore. Mm. And I thought, wow. Yeah. 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 And I mentioned this to someone, and they said, the modern thing is to replace the fireworks with lasers and light shows. Hmm. And I felt such a smile break out when I heard that. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I've seen, like, the laser light shows at Disney, right? Have you, at right. Disney, those? Mm-hmm. One time, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I mean, it's spectacular, right? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Really amazing. Mm-hmm. I would enjoy that more than fireworks. Exactly. Yeah. And possibly, I really don't know, but possibly it's more ecological. Hmm. 
you got to have electricity to run those lasers, but on the other hand, you're not, like, setting fire to things. Right, and then shipping them from halfway across the world because they're usually not made here. (laughs) Right. Right. Wow. So I'm I'm going to envision that bright future of 4th of July celebrations with laser light shows. Mm, I like it. I will be there with that vision, too. That sounds perfect. Break out your lava lamps, people, and celebrate the 4th of July. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, We have a bunch of young people who, you know, from the age of 76, anybody under 50 is young. So some young younger people have moved into a neighborhood of fairly old people, and they're, you know, loud music at, oh, my gosh, did they have fireworks. All of the animals were cowering. I saw the deers, like, just, you know, there was a deer that comes near us, and she was just standing, like, shaking because of the fireworks. Oh, I, I always wonder, because it's got to be so traumatic. Our dog shakes, like. He thinks the world right. is ending, so only imagine the wild. I have no way of knowing that it's okay. Uh-huh. And your body doesn't either, according to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She says that you can learn to accommodate any stressor except loud noises and fast motions. So be mm. especially nice to yourself if you had to hear loud noises to celebrate the fourth. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't hear too many fireworks. I was happy about that. We had a big thunderstorm last night, and it kind of took over. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that was quite the storm. Wow. So you'll tell me if there are any hands raised, yes? I just was about to let you know we have had a hand come up from the 212 area Okay, code. and that hand um, goes, after I've talked to that hand, we still have some uh, Goldilocks stories that we can read. Oh, lovely. Yes, and I'll remind everyone listening, if you've got a question tonight, press 1 to get your hand raised and lined up in the queue. And first we will go to the 212 area code. You are Susan from the 212. Hello, my wonderful teacher, Susan. It's Lauren from New York. Hi, Lauren. I was just talking Hi. about you the other day. I was saying Lauren less, so I said, but now I call her Lauren Greater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you dear one! <laughs> I, I I was counting up the years since I apprenticed, and and it's not thirty yet; it's twenty four. About twenty four. Wow! And you know, um, another one of your using it all the time, and it infuses my work in other directions. It informs me as a, a therapist. Philosophically, it supported me, and and everybody who who knows me knows you. Ah, <laughs> charming. I'm Thank you. So grateful for our time, and and I often listen, and I often thank you so much for saying that about the fireworks, because I live in this crazy part of New York, where this is what they do. <laughs> Besides, including celebrating hurricanes, but the fireworks were hours and hours and hours, and I feel like I'm kind of like, uh, kind of recovering from it, you know? 
You are. You are, yeah. yeah. Grab a little alusero or ginseng or some shisandra, oh, right? You know, extra cup of nettle, something to, to yes, you're yeah. traumatized by that. Yeah, and yeah. it's a hard trauma to deal with because it's kind of below the surface because the rational mind says, oh, it's just fireworks. It's no big deal. But the body is like. <laughs> no, I no such thing. When I'm on a, like a Zoom call here and working um, and people go, oh, you have a dog. And it's four flights down, half a city block away, and it comes right in my window. So I knew I was experiencing trauma. No. <laughs> <laughs> Like kind of like when am I gonna stop being so tired and why am I so tired? And it's like, Oh yeah, oh okay. Okay. That's yes. Yeah. I I feel like that today too. Okay, granted, I didn't stay up until the wee hours finishing mm-hmm. baking bread for the Greenwich holiday. Uh-huh. Oh, oh. We had a beautiful loaf of rye bread. Oh, my. We had a dozen chocolate cinnamon breakfast rolls and three loaves of sourdough bread. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Now that groups are smaller and I get to be home more, I have reverted to my baking ways. That is fabulous. Oh, I can just, I can see it. I can smell it. And, <laughs> and, and oh, my God, did you remind me of my cheese-making attempt? Well, actually, yes. I, made a, I made a nice cheese. Thank God you and Mickey were away. Because it was freezing, so I came down really early and I made cheese and I it was all all over the kitchen um, Tony and Belinda walked in and just looked at me and ran out <laughs> but by the time everybody shuffled in in the morning it was, it was neat and it was hanging up I don't know how I managed to just mess everything up <laughs> conference oh my yeah. god and watching people in their gardens reminded me of being with you but peter bigfoot was talking about using a lot of comfrey for somebody's injury was he talking about root or leaf he was talking about the tincture of the root, the root. he said yeah. that he gave, he gave him a cup yeah. of tincture a week Yep, yep, yep. I remember. I used that when I started with you for bronchial kind of coughing kind of stuff. The root. Interesting. Um, but then it. So you know, uh, as, as I say, you know what? What I found myself doing, you know, was kind of hopping from one fear to the other fear. Well, maybe it's okay to use comfrey, but only if you use this species. Well, actually, the species maybe doesn't matter, but it's really important that you use this part of it. Well, maybe the part doesn't quite matter so much, but it's really important how you make it. Well, really, it doesn't exactly matter how you make it. You know, Joe Red Peter, Peter Bigfoot tinctureing the root. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the yeah. and passing it out to his friend over an ounce a day. Well, that that's that's a lot of anything. That's <laughs> a lot of anything, you know. And he, the the man was in a car accident, which crushed every bone in his body, and he now that's runs. That's that's fabulous. That's fabulous. I thought, yeah. you know, like yeah, I'm not afraid and of we country, know that's the country, country, but we also know that it has to. You have to bring your personal 
focus to that as well. Yeah, well, that that's what makes the magic, I guess. Yeah. 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 You can't I, just I say, thought, oh, no, come oh, do me. you got to, like, you know, I get in there, get, get your own rehabilitation and your therapy and get that going, too. But the comfrey yeah. makes it possible to yeah. do that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. But, and, and I've got to say, you know, like, I've comfrey's been my friend. So I thought, oh, I don't need to really live. I'm so glad I listened. I listened to everything. It was so good. And now St. John's. And now St. Jones, oh my gosh. I, I you know, I, I either listened to everyone or participated in the Zoom sessions. Um, and I will admit I didn't listen to all the stuff that I read because I did it. So that made the conversation for me. But it was a, a great array of different authors talking about Comfrey, huh? That was amazing. That was amazing. Yes. That amazing. amazing. And I am so, so psyched. Yeah. And I think I have a new subtitle for our Hypericum conference, or the St. John's Work conference. I think instead of uh, it's time to end the fear, I think it's time to end the nonsense. Yeah, it it totally is, and I just it, it's so awful when I hear people talking about what they're using and not how they're using it, and you know the, the capsule, the pill, and how wonderful it is. And I found it here. It was a little past the season because it was in bright sunlight, so it was not it was not you know anybody I could uh, bring home. But I actually found it here last year. There was goldenrod and beach grass that was not taking hold since. Hurricane Sandy, and this year I found Self Heal. I found a little St. Jones Fort. There's um, uh, roses, uh, wild roses. It's uh, you know the land is it's coming back, it's sort of coming back. It's very exciting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so great. Anyway, I have a question. Okay. I have a symptom. I have a thing. Um, Last year, I started getting allergic reactions for the first time, and it seemed to be kind of COVID-y. I don't know, on one eye would be stuck closed, and then congestion and sneezing and stuff like that. Lately, it's been really, really mucusy, and it's um, I feel really stuffed at bedtime, and it's sort of ushered in some panicky feeling, which, uh, and I know what you've said about allergies, and I'm thinking about I've been going through a lot of work on changes and stuff and confronting things. I don't know how connected it is with that. I've used a couple of drops of OSHA. I've had, like, kind of saline nose spray, <laughs> little horseradish. So, um, so I just want to reel back a little bit because I want to really hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The reaction you have is not swelling or redness. But a mucus reaction. Mucus, congestion, stuffy nose, mucus sometimes congestion. An, an eye so you're, sort of it's stuff. So you're not, your eyes are not running, your nose is not running, you're stuffed up, not running. Uh, sometimes running. Not, sometimes I'll sneeze, but usually it's like the beginning or the end of the, the beginning of the day I might sneeze. At the end of the day I get really stuffed and there's like mucus coming down and yeah. It's, well, it's not coming out, it's just kind of. Right, that's what I'm asking. Right. Because um, generally allergic reactions are 
based on a histamine response. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when histamines are produced, they their function is to cause profuse mucus mm. so that your eyes, tears, and your nose runs to get the allergen away from you. And the function of histamines is to bring blood to the area so there's redness. Mm. And the function of histamines is to slow down or, in extreme cases, stop the outflow of blood from the area. So let's say you get stung by a scorpion. Histamines get right to work making sure that none of the the poison from the scorpion sting gets into circulation in your body by shutting down all the blood vessels that that are coming away from there, right? They're going to send more blood there, so it's going to get red and swollen and hot. It's not going to let the blood go back out, so it's going to be even more red and swollen and hot. Mm. Right, right, yes, that makes sense. So that's... That's the game plan for histamines and what histamines are doing there. So, thick mucus is unlikely to be caused by a histamine reaction. Mm. Mm. Although it could still be a response to something in your environment that your body doesn't want to take in. Mm. I think, I'm not going to make too precise a point here, but I think that we can't call it an allergy unless there's a histamine reaction. Yeah. I think uh-huh. it's called a sensitivity if there's no histamine reaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Because I think it's an easier self-concept. Uh-huh. Right. I really resist when people say, oh, you're allergic to pepper. I say, no, I'm not allergic to pepper. I'm sensitive to pepper. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. So, and it's different morning and afternoon. And so yeah. it may be something where you are. My wild guess, uh-huh. based on... Nothing except just having been around the block a few times. Mm-hmm. It's mold. It's mold. Yeah, you know, that's a real possibility. It used to, um, before they fixed the outside of the building, it used to rain in the apartment. So yeah. there's that, there's probably something there. It didn't bother me my first year here, but I understand mold takes a while to hit you. Yes, it does. And that's why I think of mold, because... <clears throat> of the way you're reacting, uh-huh. and it seems to increase. Yeah, yeah. And that's a real kind of mold thing, because first your body says, I don't like this mold, and then it says, I don't like this mold. Yeah, I'm about there now. When I steal it when I'm going to bed, I just can't, I try, ugh. yeah, it's <laughs> panicky, yeah. Right. Does the OSHA help? Um, See, I wouldn't think that OSHA would help a lot because OSHA's going to work with histamine. 
Yeah, it was, it was interesting because it, it did help when I started using it last year when my eyes were sticking. So maybe I had some allergic reaction. doesn't seem to be right. helping much now. I, right. I didn't think it would. No, no. So, I would think something slippery. Oh. Marshmallow root. Oh. Infusion? Yeah. Mm hmm. Hmm. Or some slippery elm, if you have it on hand. Um, I have powder. I can make balls. Yeah. Yeah. That helped digest. Because what we want is the your mucus flowing again, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that will help it flow. Yeah. The collagenous stuff. Yeah, that right. makes sense. So I don't have to move. <laughs> you know, that's, that's my master plan, is after Hypericum is red clover, another maligned herb. Leave my herbs alone. Uh-huh. And then, if, there's a, if we get time for a fourth one, it's going to be uh, slippery, slimy herbs. Oh, yeah. Right, I always teased that I was going to write, you know, Susan Weed's mucus-filled diet healing book. <laughs> um, but instead, instead, we'll have a conference on the slippery, slimy herbs, because mucus is our friend! Oh, 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 you should do that next, after St. Jay, after No, Jay. red clover, red clover, I cannot bear to see red clover maligned. Yes, not red clover I love red clover. Oh, totally. Oh, my gosh. Go on the Internet, and you'll see. You know, oh. if you have the best cancer diagnosis, stay away from that cover. Oh, no. That's dreadful. That's It's so perfectly wonderful. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. So the conferences are first and foremost for the maligned herbs. <laughs> right. Get people back into saying, oh, country, it's wonderful. Oh, Hypericum, this is how you use it. Oh, hey. No, mucus free, mucus Oh, we want mucus. Yay, mucus. Mucus is our friend. Oh, that's hysterical. I love that. It's a thing it is. So, St. John, so, so, mm, so, slippery elm, and I have some dried marshmallow root. All right. And I have some powder that I was going to make into balls anyway. Yeah. And just, that should it, huh? That would help. And I mean, people do such crazy and things. And when you're at the store, buy a box of borax. Borax. Borax I, is the anti-mold stuff. And where do you, how do you, I mean, it's It's like, in the laundry department. No, yeah, but like, where do I put it? Um, Wherever it rained in, in oh, that area. Like, just kind of paint the ceiling with it? <laughs> oh, gee, it's on the ceiling that it rained yeah. in? Yes. Did it come down the wall at all? No, not really. It just would sort of rain inside. It would. It didn't go down the wall. It would just. Interesting. Um, it was bizarre. It was so bizarre when the wind was blowing towards the windows and it was raining hard. I'd always have to move all the furniture, and it just would rain. Oh my gosh! It was crazy. It was insane. <laughs> <laughs> You must sneak upstairs and put it on their floors, which you have to do, not your ceiling, because it won't stick to the ceiling, right? Yeah. You have to put it on their floor, the apartment above you. Do you know them? I'm sorry, what did you say? Do you know the people above you? No, I don't know the people above me. 
That's what I'm saying. You have to sneak into their place at some point and put borax on their floor, oh, not your ceiling. So floor. You know, I know the person <laughs> below me because her ceiling came down before I moved in, so she would love the borax. But I will go meet my neighbors and talk to them about it. What a good idea. just because, it, you know, if it's your ceiling, it is their floor, and they're being influenced by it, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the, oh, the, the mediators say that, it, that there are many instances, of course, where you just got to tear it out and deal with it. Mm-hmm. But when you don't, borax will usually do it. That's great. I mean, I wasn't planning to live here for the rest of my life, but I'd like another year. Yeah. And I'd love yeah, to, be able to go to be, sleep without having a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> and breathe in those mold spores, it's really, you know, like, it's not that good for you. No, no, it's it not. Makes, makes your body work a little harder than we want it to. So, just kind of sprinkle it on the floor and then periodically do that, or, or yeah, okay, okay. We just, you know, I, I like sprinkle it around like where it was, you know, in the corners is where it's gonna, the damp yes. is gonna stay, right? Yes. At the baseboard yes. and in the corners. It doesn't have to be in the middle of the floor usually. No, it it just came in about three feet. <laughs> You can do it before you go to sleep, leave it overnight, and then sweep it up in the morning. And just keep doing that periodically. Or, yes. Yeah. That is a marvelous idea. I mean, people get so crazy with things like mold. Oh, you have to be tested. Oh, you have to be this. Oh, you have to uh, clean everything, which is... And you there know. are some instances in which you do. It's true. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's certainly worth trying something milder first. Of course. Why bring a bazooka to a flea? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's a really good suggestion. Really good suggestion. And if I may be so obnoxiously bold, I I just want to honor how you've been sharing your vulnerability. Because Lady Liberty, you've been so strong all the time, and you're so fierce all the time, and and to hear about your struggle really not only makes me so respect you, but it 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 just humanizes and normalizes things for for all of us, I guess. Certainly for me, and I just find I have such respect and love for you. Thank you, Lauren. Um, thank you for your advice, and I will go find some borax and meet my neighbor and visit <laughs> you often. <laughs> call back in a while and let us know how it all turned out, okay? Thank you, I will. I will. All righty. Love you. Love you. Dream blessings. Good night. Blessings. Good night. All right. And I will remind everyone listening, if you have a question this evening, you'll need one to get yourself lined up in the queue, and we will open your line to ask a question from Susan. Uh, this time, we do not have a hand raised. Um, Don't be Awesome. All right. The forest was quiet. Well, let's go back a little bit. Goldilocks walked all morning. As the sun's heat was beginning to crest on her path, she saw the little flagpole of her belongings waving cheerfully. 
Once reunited, she put on her underthings and dress. Her shoes had been washed away and stashed the remaining blueberries in her pack. She shouldered her bindle and continued her trek up the narrow cliffside through the rosemary bush and its resinous embrace back into the forest. The forest was quiet, save the bird and wind song until a far-off thundering alerted her senses, but it wasn't from the sky. So she walked toward the noise, rushing water, a river, and alongside it a sandy path. She sat down to rest and watched the river flow, the water's internal twisting against its banks, the glinting light and splashing spray was hypnotic peaceful. Soon her eyes discerned a different source of light among the rapids. She focused in on this new movement, and one gleam revealed itself with a burst. Salmon! Salmon! It was a school of salmon pushing back to their spawning grounds. Goldilocks watched them leap and splash. It reminded her of her tired muscles and her intense and heartfelt swim packed ashore. A salmon leapt up and landed in her lap. Goldilocks shrieked with surprise and then shrieked again. In the silver skin of this fish, she saw her reflection in her. Her hair was no longer golden. Her cries startled the fish into speech. Young girl, enough shouting. Nothing is so bad with you as what is happening to me. Now throw me back. Goldilocks was agape at the talking fish in her lap. Distracted enough from her reflection to stammer, my mind and my name is Goldilocks, but my hair is no longer gold. Goldilocks was flustered, but long since, out of tears, the salmon wheeled and slapped, unmoved by her plight. What's in a name, silly girl? I like uh, a silver streak tonight, but on the inside, I am pinkish red as the morning dawn, a pink that they call salmon. Throw me back! Goldilocks felt awe at this changed world, and in a day, she did throw the salmon back into the river. Despite this fresh shock, she found her feet and began to walk the sandy riverside path. Uh-oh, last page. She trudged along, her sorrowful feelings muffled by the beauty of the river's roar and the refreshment of its mist. Ahead on her path, another flash of silver. A salmon, still wet, lay dead after too great a leap. She thought of the dawn encased in the salmon's nighttime skin. She felt pity for the fish and gratitude for the strength still in her that allowed her to pick the fish up, put it in her pack, and continue on. She continued her walk, an endless day of light and shadow reminiscent of the sea's endless book. The path twisted back into the forest away from the river. There was little to do but walk and breathe until a pattern caught her eye, a scrap of fabric caught in a flowering bush. It was as familiar as home to her. She looked at her torn dress, at her bindle with its treasures. The fabric's pattern was not just familiar, it was the same as her dress. And it was caught in a rose bush at the same height as the scratch on her leg. The rose bush backed up against a brown hill mounded with green growth, and just behind the bushes there was a small opening, a cave. With a flash of recognition, Goldilocks realized this was the home of Bear family. And, and, and at that moment, 
something very, very strange happened to her. She felt, she felt huge and full. Like she was a strong, proud bear. Oh, in, in her mind's eye, she entered the cave as a bear with her bindle in her mouth and offered her gifts of honey, rosemary, blueberries, and salmon to her new family, to her new home. <laughs> she knew that was not to be. She wasn't a bear. So she brought the gifts against the cave entrance, took small rose from the bush for her mother, and left. And before long, she stumbled out into the clearing at the center of which was the old oak tree. And there our story ends. I suspect it continues on. Perhaps someday the author will even give permission for her name to be mentioned, and maybe she will send us more chapters. Hmm. Wow, that's a real to be continued. <laughs> a real to be continued, yeah. <laughs> the story of Goldilocks. I like that part about the uh, the bear. While I was waiting for the bed bread to come out of the oven last night to keep myself from falling asleep, I watched um, a video taken at night in the far north boreal forest of Europe where there are bears that because of humans have become nocturnal. Wow. Yeah, these bears totally reset their clock so that they now sleep in the day and come out at night. And these special next generation, they call them next generation cameras, and they're actually cameras that were developed for the big telescopes we're putting out in space, right? Cameras that can draw in huge, you know, the tiniest little bit of light and be able to see it and see the color of it. So that they're actually, it's called uh, Earth at Night in Color. And, and they showed you this bear waking up and coming out and as a young male brown bear, and it's, you know, what it had to do, it had to steal food from wolves because it was too weak to bring down any prey. Right, it would dig and it would like eat roots and stuff, but it really wanted meat, of course. And so it smelled some that uh, the wolves had taken and it, um, it was too weak even to fight off the couple of wolves, but it was able to sneak around and grab a piece and make off with it. And then you watched, you know, the bear through the, the an amazing boreal summer where it's so bright. And by the time this bear is ready to hibernate, it's like three times bigger. It starts out like kind of looking like a cute teddy bear. And at the end, it like walks up to this pack of seven wolves, which has just brought this animal down, and the wolves like scatter. Oh, wow. Right, at the very beginning, it's like slinking around trying to figure out how to steal a piece of meat from two wolves, and at the end, it's like, it just, you know, swaggers up and boom, they leave their kill. <laughs> wow. 
at some points during the summer, those bears are capable of eating 20,000 calories a day. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's a lot of hunting. It's <laughs> a lot of food. <laughs> wow. I'm, it's amazing what nourishment can do, like, to go from that in one season. Yep. Uh, well, I'll remind everyone listening, if you've got a question tonight, uh, you'll need to press 1 to get yourself lined up in the queue. Uh, we do not have a hand raised at this time, but we do have a couple email questions. Um, Let's get to those. Going here. All right. Hi, Susan. I was recently diagnosed with macular degeneration. I live alone, and I'm scared to death of going blind. I'm 74 years old and otherwise healthy. I desperately want to maintain my independence, stay in my home, and enjoy my life. I am swimming in the overwhelming unfairness that this is happening to me. The idea of losing my vision and all that goes with that has me paralyzed in fear and sadness. I am sorting out medical treatment options and would like to know what ideas you may have that I can integrate into my treatment plan, including some suggestions, please, on how to move through my fear, sadness, and anger over being diagnosed with a condition that will take most of my sight. True appreciation for any help you can offer. What a well-phrased question. Thank you for including so much information and for being clear that one of the the real problems you're having is that that this diagnosis is fine. And I think that the first thing that we need to establish is that while macular degeneration does tend to get worse with time, how much time that takes can be changed. We don't understand enough what goes on in the macula and why it degenerates to be able to say, if you do this, that, or the other thing, this will never happen to you. And it's a little late once you've been diagnosed to have anybody say that. However, we certainly do know that lifestyle interventions um, can slow down the progress. Traditionally, the eyes are seen as the gateway to the liver, and the chi moves from the liver to this. We think about eyesight and carotenes. We know that lack of carotenes in the diet causes blindness. About a quarter of a million children a year go blind, primarily in rice cultures, because they don't get any carotenes in their diet, nothing red, orange, yellow, or green. Um, so increasing carotenes, and of course carotenes are turned into vitamin A in the liver. So there we have that liver-eye connection again. Um, 
people who formulate and sell supplements for eye health always start out with huge amounts of carotene, usually beta carotene. And as with any vitamin grouping, when we just take part of the vitamin grouping, it tends to have um, a kind of Mobius kind of effect that the thing it's supposed to, to help it actually hurts in some way. So we don't really ever want to get our vitamins from pills. We want to get them from food. And fortunately, carotenes in um, diets of most people who live in North America are pretty easy to get. They're in orange things, sweet potatoes, carrots, tomatoes. You're not going to find much carotenes in cucumbers or zucchini or eggplant. You need something that's strongly colored. Broccoli, purple cabbage. Those are going to be better sources of carotene. So one of the things that I do just on a general basis is that I almost always have two, at least two brightly colored vegetables with my main meal. We often tease that we, you've been here, you know, we eat more vegetables than most vegetarians. It's a rare main meal where we don't have four different vegetables. And at least two of those are going to be brightly colored. Carrots, beets, you know, kale, some dark leafy green. And so usually it'll be, you know, some brightly colored root and a leafy green is what I usually choose from. But any two brightly colored things and then any other vegetables as well. But when we want our eyes to be healthier, that's where we're going to focus. And so what herbs are often suggested for the eyes? Well, one that has no connection to the eyes at all, but has a name that sounds like it does, which is eyebright. And eyebright has a flower with a little white eye in it, and that's why it's called eyebright, and it really has no effect on the eyes. But you see it in many eye formulas because it sounds like it should. And then goji berries. And um, to some degree, amla berries, but especially goji berries because, of course, they're red. And shisandra berries, carotenes, carotenes. I have been mentioning that I'm having a love affair with shisandra, so we're going to expect Susan to say, why not try shisandra? Um, if you have to just, you know, try something, say, should it be goji, should it be shisandra? I'm saying, yeah, we'll try shisandra because I'm loving shisandra. And I don't know if I mentioned that... Um, Beth, who I walk with, we used to go to the gym before the, before COVID, and now we just walk, um, which is great. Um, don't have to get in the car. Um, last year, my Shisandra bush had so many berries that I made, oh gosh, half a gallon of tincture and a bunch of other stuff, vinegar and oxymel and, and Shisand, dried Shisandra berries and salted Shisandra berries, and then I gave lots of Shisandra awake, and we had several classes that all made Shisandra remedies and... I gave Shisandra to Justine, and I gave Shisandra to Yvette. Well, that's not really true. I didn't give it to them. I told them they could have some. I didn't pick it. They had to come and pick it. <laughs> so I didn't give it to them. I made them work for their Shisandra. Anyhow, Yvette, when we were walking last week, told me that Shisandra has been the herb that has done more to change her life than any other herb. Now, that's big talk from somebody who's 
been working a lot with herbs for at least a decade, if not longer. And she says she started taking a dropper full of Shisandra, and now she sleeps through the night. She says she can't believe it. She was in her whole routine of waking up in the middle of the night, getting up to pee and going back to sleep, and say, oh, she sleeps through the night. She says for the first time, she's losing weight without trying to. She does want to lose some weight. It's not like there's something wrong and Shisandra is making making her lose weight. It's helping her to be at a weight that she would prefer rather than the one that she is. And she just went on and on about all the wonderful things that Shisandra is doing for her. And I was thrilled to hear it because I'm really thrilled to be loving Shisandra and to see how easy it is to grow and how friendly it is with people. So that would be another possibility. See what Shisandra could do. I'm remembering, although I don't remember the details of it, I'm remembering that there is a hepatitis remedy, we're back to the liver and the eyes, that is made of Shisandra berries. They might be baked. Something. Right, don't quote me on it. Go and look and see if you can find it. Some, some remedy for hepatitis having to do with an odd preparation of Shisandra berries. So, f- foods rich in carotenes. Herbs also rich in carotenes. Shisandra berries, goji berries, right? Blueberries, are they an herb? Are they a fruit? Yes, of course, they're both. All of these are both, right? And it's critically important that you decide that you are in charge of your body, not the doctor. At this point, from what you write, you have given up your sovereignty. You have given up your rights. You have a diagnosis of macular degeneration and you are going to go blind and that's what the doctor said and by golly, by gosh, you're going to make the doctor right? Stop it. I'm not saying you don't have macular degeneration. But I'm saying you don't have to go blind to please the doctor. You don't have to do it the way the doctor thinks it has to be done. How do you want to do this? Uh, One of my helpers told me this story about a very famous person. And this very famous person had hit a part of their life where it just seemed like nothing was working out. The kids were like, totally just uh, and the marriage was uh, and the work was arg and it was like nothing nothing was being the way that they wanted it to be and they thought what what and they were like actually laying on the floor just like spreading up on the floor going arg this is so hard and this voice appeared and this person said and said it's supposed to be hard Yeah, well, oh, 
okay. It's supposed to be hard. But it is. It is. Nobody ever said it was supposed to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. And that gives us opportunity. My mother was functionally blind. During my childhood, she wore incredibly thick glasses, literally like the bottoms of thick Coke bottles. And her eyes didn't work together. When she would take her glasses off, they would roll around in different directions. And she would do that to frighten the kids silly, of course. And it did. It worked very, very well. You knew that she was really hitting the fan when mom's glasses came off and those eyes were rolling at you. But what she did was she made her inability to see a secret power. I learned from her to go in the dark without a flashlight. She would always tease us. We would go out for a walk at night. She'd say, what's, what's the matter with, you, with all, all of you? Do you see too much? And she finally had surgery and she had her cataracts removed and she was thrilled. She had a year of what she called the most perfect vision she had ever experienced. And she knew that it wasn't going to last long. And she just really saw, you know, the things she wanted to see while she really had that sight. And she actually lost an eye and the other one, you know, shut down. As I said, she was functionally blind. And um, she had prepared us all for it. It wasn't like, oh, God, my life has ended. It was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I worked with a woman who was not just functionally blind. She was blind. She couldn't see anything. My mom could still see movement and shapes and uh, shades. You know, something was darker, lighter. But this one that I worked with was totally blind, and I didn't even know she was blind until the office party for Christmas when I saw her feeling her food. And I'd seen my mom do that, too. And I, knew, and I suddenly realized why it was so important in the office that no one moved the furniture. So she worked at a busy office as a completely blind person, and we all worked with her. You may become blind. It's not the end of your life. It's scary. It's a change. You don't want it. I don't want it for you. And how do we find a way to be what we are without resentment? Whatever it took to get to the diagnosis of macular degeneration, that's what it took, and that's where we are now, and that's what's real. But none of the rest of it has to be the way they think it has to be. 
dream, vision, plan. Create your life the way you want your life to be. I talked to someone yesterday, yesterday, who told me that they were undergoing a career shift. They have been very happily teaching at university and academia for decades, and they've had it. It's just too much ego-tripping. And what this person told me they want to do is they want to work as a hypnotist because they want to help people who are addicted. Now, I think that's a really great idea, personally. Um, Hypnotism works without a doubt. And does it work to help people deal with addictions like drug addictions and cigarette addictions? Yes. Does it work for everybody? No, of course not. Not everything works for everybody. But does it work reasonably well for a reasonable number of people? You bet. However, their approach to this was that they were going to have to take some job they didn't like in order to make the money to go to school to get the license to be a hypnotist. Completely understood. That's the way it's laid out. Just like, okay, we have macular degeneration, and we can give you these drugs, and we can possibly do this surgery, and we could do this, and you're going to go blind. Okay, that's how it's laid out. But that doesn't mean we have to go by that path. And so I said to this person, do you do hypnosis now? And they said, yeah. I said, Ericksonian hypnosis? They said, yeah. I know Ericksonian. I said, okay, good. That's a great foundation. Ericksonian hypnosis is solid foundational hypnosis. You can easily do past life regressions with people. And they, their eyes, we were on a Zoom, their eyes got very big. I said, what? I said, yeah. People generally are quite fascinated by the idea that they have past lives. And you do, you know, an Ericksonian hypnotic trance, and you tell them they're going to relive a past life, and then they tell you about that past life. And then the two of you can talk about that past life person like it was some third person, but of course, really, you're doing psychotherapy with them. But it's like easier for them because they can pretend it's not really them, right? And this person was looking at me like, how did, how did we get out of jail free and arrive at, the, at my goal without doing the stuff we had to do? Because you don't have to do it. So get yourself out of the jail of your diagnosis and your prognosis. Wow. And create your way of doing it. All right. Wow. Well, I really enjoyed hearing about your mother. That was very interesting and powerful. Very powerful. Um, and we just had a hand go up. Um, we've got about 10 minutes before our scheduled to join us, and we have a caller from the 619 who has raised their hand from the 619. You are live with Susan. Oh, I thank you so much. Hi, my name's Jessie. 
And I have just um, discovered that we have St. Joan's Wort here growing near me. And I was oh, so excited. I know. I was so excited. But, you know, it has just passed its um, flowering, and the flowers have now dried. The plant is still very green. Cut the top off, and it will reflower. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) It is happy to flower into September. And if, once it starts to flower, you keep picking those flowers, it will flower for a very long time. Okay. I will do that. One of the things that seems somehow not obvious to people is that plants prefer to be picked and will produce more when they're picked than if we just stand and watch them. Yes, they kind of go through their whole cycle and die off if you don't pick them off. Right, exactly. Well, the plants, the purpose of the flower is to make seeds, which are the plant's babies, right? Yes. And so once the plants have made babies, they want to go on vacation, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to say, oh, no, 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 no. So those babies weren't enough. You're going to have to make more babies now. Right? And, by, and when you pick the flowers, then you don't let them make babies, so they really make a lot of flowers, right? Yeah. Great. Okay, well, they're growing all along the road. Don't and... we just love roadsides? One of their favorite places. <laughs> well, I don't know. This is the first time I've ever seen it, so I'm, like, so excited. Well, good. You are going to make some wonderful remedies there. Yes, I am. So thank you so much for telling us so many different ways we can use these remedies, and um, especially the infusions. They just, they really make me have a lot more energy. Isn't that wonderful to have something so simple that makes you feel so full of life? Yes. Well, thank you for your call. Well, thank you very much. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. We have a few minutes for some more calls. If you have a question this evening, please press 1 and get your hand raised. Uh, We do have another email question. And, um, yeah, we've got another email question if you'd like to go there. Sure. All right. Hi, Susan. Why no raw fruit? Boo-hoo. I love enjoying raw fruit every day. I was so surprised to hear you say that it is not a good idea. Does this go for all fruit? Nothing on this planet eats raw food. There is no nutrition in raw food. When we eat raw food, we are consuming empty calories, eating raw fruit, you might as well be sitting at the sugar jar and spooning white sugar down your mouth. Wow. 
Now, how can she say that nothing on this planet eats raw food? Come on, Susan. Don't the goats eat raw food? No, the goats don't eat raw food. You watch them. They go out there. Sure, they eat the plants. But if you watch them, it's bite, swallow, bite, swallow. They don't even chew. Have you noticed that, Sarah Ellen? Oh, yes, for sure. My goats don't start chewing until, like, well into the they afternoon. They don't start usually. chewing until they've <laughs> cooked their food. So they bite, swallow, bite, swallow, bite, swallow for a while, you know, hours. And then the, all of that goes into their rumen, their F-O-R-E stomach. They don't have F-O-U-R stomachs. They have one F-O-R-E stomach, a four stomach, which is technically the rumen. And the food is fermented and cooked in the rumen. And then they go, and cough it up and chew it. Now they chew it. Now that it's been cooked. And then they swallow it. They're called ruminants, and ruminants are some of the most successful animals on this planet. Not just our goats, but sheep and deer, buffalo, moose, elk, antelopes. There was a funny little study study done about whether or not women who ate apples had less breast cancer. And I really appreciated the way this study was set up because they looked at women who ate raw apples, women who ate applesauce, and women who ate dried apples. And women who ate raw apples even on a daily basis, had the same amount of breast cancer as women who never ate apples. Women who ate applesauce, which is cooked apples, had less breast cancer, but the women who had the least breast cancer of the three groups were the ones who ate dried apples. And even as little as one or two slices of dried apple a day conferred more benefit than any number of raw apples. Am I making my point here? I'm not against fruit, although there are some things that could be said against fruit. What I am saying is, why eat it raw when nothing else does? You might say, well, don't the monkeys in the the jungle eat the fruit? Well, if you ever see the fruit that monkeys are eating, you would be shocked. They usually hang in the tree. They wait in the tree until the fruit is beyond what we would call ripe. They're not going to eat what we would call a ripe banana. They're going to wait till that banana is black and dripping and fermented. Now they're ready to eat it. Same thing with the fig trees. They're not going to go pick those figs the way we would eat them. They want those figs covered with insects and oozing and moldy before they eat them. I have taken a tip from my primate sisters. And now when I'm picking fruit wild, if I can't freeze it or dry it or cook it, I look specifically for the moldy 
fruit because I know that I can get more nutrition from that than what isn't. Many native cultures waited until after frosts to harvest berries. Not all berries will stay on after frost, but some of them do, and they're much more edible. So, again, remembering that the opposite of raw is not always cooked, although it can be. I say that the opposite of raw is fermented, dehydrated, all right, frozen, mixed or covered with oil, and has been subjected to sufficient heat for sufficient time. Any one of those will get you nutrition from your fruit. I mean, really, who wouldn't prefer a piece of apple pie to raw apple? Who doesn't like cherry cobbler? Who would say no to a peach half baked in the oven with a little ginger honey in it? Frozen blueberries? Much better than fresh blueberries. Eat your fruit. Not against your eating your fruit. But freeze it, dehydrate it, cook it, ferment it, or smash it up with fat. That's called pemmican. And it must be time for us to get to hear what Susan Campbell has to say. Yes, and she is here in the queue. Susan Campbell is a best-selling author of 11 books on relationships. She is also the creator and publisher of three entertaining and educational card games for teens, adults, couples, work teams, and singles. Her games promote more authentic relating among players. Susan's work with couples has been featured on national television, including CNN's Newsnight, Good Morning America, and The Dr. Dean Edel Show. Susan Campbell has been published widely in popular magazines, including Self, New Woman, and Cosmopolitan. In 2003 and 2004, she was the couple therapist on the reality TV show Truth in Love, which aired on UPN and ABC Affiliate. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you, Susan. I'm happy to be here. We are so excited to get to hear what you have to share with us. It's certainly work that is so close to my heart. You you say that people um, don't actually live their lives. Um, They are simply running away from emotional pain. Well, that is kind of the core fear that it seems to be running people. Yeah, it's the key motivator. Of of course, we know that we like to avoid pain. I mean, that's a no-brainer in a way. But to become more friendly with the emotional pain that's buried deep inside of you is very healing. So that's what my work is about, healing through self-compassion. Mm. So how do you activate this in people? Well, usually they will have a situation, often in a relationship, where they get triggered. 
where they have an automatic aversion to something. You know, that shouldn't be happening. Why doesn't this person treat me the way I've told them a thousand times I like to be treated? So it's that sort of thing. We've all felt that or or, or just uh, cr- cr- chronic fear of not being good enough, not being loved, those kinds of things. But they get activated sometimes when somebody doesn't meet our needs or, or we don't we don't feel heard, we don't feel met. So that's the starting point for the inquiry in, into learning how to be, be with your emotional pain. First, you have to have it activated. So usually that comes when other people don't do what you want. Uh, so that can be a good thing. It can, it can lead you into a journey of self-knowledge. So let, let's say somebody um, cuts, cuts me off while I'm speaking and they take over the conversation in a group. And so I get my fear that my voice doesn't matter or fear that I'm not important or significant triggered. That fear gets triggered. So, I mean, we don't we don't know to call it that when we first start out. We just we just know, man, I don't like that, and, and that hurts. So the practice is coming to notice those things when they happen, and learn to pause and feel more deeply. Sometimes you have to do this after the interaction because you're not safe in the moment. You don't feel you don't feel safe in the moment when you're in an interaction. Maybe there's some tempers flying and stuff like that. But sometimes you can uh, call for a pause. Hey, I need a moment. I just got triggered, or I'm just I'm losing I'm losing my presence here. And you can either say that out loud or just say something that indicates you need a moment. And Start to feel what's going on, body sensations, feelings. There'll be stories such as mental interpretations such as my needs don't matter, my voice doesn't matter, why don't people listen to me? And when we start to feel those things in the present moment, because I'm a therapist and I've been doing this for uh, 55 years, um, so when we start to feel these things, what I find, I've discovered all this from working with clients, is old memories of trauma or unmet developmental needs will start to surface. Just maybe something, some vague feeling that, hey, this is kind of the story of my life. You know, I've felt this dozens of times. Or, gee, my relationships always kind of wind up with me being the one who, who feels insignificant. Um, so, pausing, noticing the feelings, noticing the breathing, and once you begin to notice, what you're doing is you're activating the compassionate witness, particularly if a, if a tender memory comes up. So, you can learn to do this for yourself. The book, the book that I just came out with is, is kind of like self-therapy. I, this is exactly what I do with clients, but in the practice that I call compassionate self-inquiry, people can learn to go through a series of steps like what I'm describing right now, Susan, and just start with the unpleasant feeling, calm your nervous system with breath, or sometimes with some activity, like you know, go out and hug a tree or take a walk, but some way to really ground yourself in the present moment and breath is right there that we've always got that so that's the most common way that works for people and when the old memory comes up i kind of suggest that 
this compassionate witness is like a good mother holding a much-loved child who has been hurt or neglected. And when you can kind of witness this aspect of yourself, this hurting part, and sometimes if the, tra- if, if the trauma is, is too active, you know, I'll have people imagine they, they, they're watching themselves on a movie screen or something like that. There's a lot of different tools for making sure that people don't get overwhelmed with their feelings, but just gently move into touching into the feeling, holding that charged pain a little bit. It's, it's like when, when my little baby's hurt or my little girl is hurt, I hurt some too. So it's, you allow in the emotional pain, but now you've got company. You've, you've got your own good, good mother, your inner good mother. And, and that's a connection that a lot of us haven't really learned to make, that, that deep, intimate relationship with ourselves. So this, this helps you just have a good relationship with yourself. But this is when you really need it, is, is when you're hurting. And so when we can hold ourselves and learn to be with whatever's coming up, the old memory, with a little distance, with a witness activated, that teaches us to take this kind of emotional pain more in stride in life. Because there's going to be emotional pain right and left as we go through our life. Until we're no longer attached to getting our own way, but that may be a long way off, you know. (laughs) Or until until there's no more injustice in the world, which also may be a long way off. Yeah, Yeah, and that's another whole source of emotional pain is the collective traumas that we're all experiencing right now, right and left. Yeah. yeah, and I, I I address this too. It's it's a very big deal for me. Mm. <laughs> I find that a lot of women blame themselves. Yeah, yeah. Rather um, than doing what you say, saying, "Oh my goodness, look, I'm upset. I need to be cared for," um, they start hammering themselves with guilt and shame and blame. That's extremely common. Because when we were little and helpless, we didn't understand where that pain came from. You know, we didn't we didn't know much about self and other. Some of us, you know, you don't have a good differentiation even of self and other when when you're early in your development. And so, it's almost like automatic that little people uh, and our cultural conditioning allows women to do that, especially. But it it happens. <laughs> no matter who you are and what gender, um, you, you just say, well, that's kind of the easiest person to blame is myself because it's, you know, I'm right there. And um, we have to get a little more distance on the whole situation, and then we can come to understand that we are not to blame and that blame itself is, is not a useful concept. I got a very upsetting letter from someone that I thought was a very close friend for the past three plus decades, uh-huh. and um, you know, I, emotionally, I kind of started with, "How could I have been so stupid as to not know that she, you know, was faking it?" And then I very rapidly said, "Of course, you would have known if she was faking it. She wasn't faking it. She was really your friend, but now she, in retrospect, is saying that she was." Strange. Well, you know, well, we all we can do. You I know, find we can't, it. We can't really pick up 
pick apart the other person's response, but your own response. We need to, just, great, we need to justify what we're doing there sometimes just, by recasting the past. Yeah. You, you may, and you may I have to stuff. call this this particular thing that you're talking about the compulsion to recreate and overcome childhood hurts. Yes, exactly, exactly. And and it can seem like a neurotic pattern, Susan, but it's actually, in the way I view it at least, it's functional because bringing back those past memories allows you to move the stuck energy that was there, in, in, including you, you kind of, you know, your issue when you got that upsetting letter was assuming that the relationship prior didn't mean anything? Was it sort of like that? Like like she was faking it? How could I have been so... No, that's what she said. She said, I've been deceiving you all these years. Oh, she started out with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. And then, you know, and then, and and I was like really hurt and and blamed myself. How could I have not noticed? And then I said, wait a second. How could you have not noticed? You would have noticed. Yeah, I mean, so you, for, you you got off of any kind of self-blame is what you're telling us here. Exactly. Yeah, you were able to get perspective on it. I was able, just as you're saying, to say, wait a second, you would have noticed, Susan. Why, don't blame yourself and say, how did you not notice? Of course you would have noticed. Mm. Right? This isn't, this is, it's true what she's saying right now. And certainly, you know, out of respect for the relationship, there would have been much kinder ways to say, I no longer want to be in relationship with you without having to say, you're the, you know, the worst piece of shit in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we could analyze this other person, and I'm tempted to, but I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Right, no, no, but, we don't need to. But, you know, people, just need to talk people about. aren't very self-aware, you know, like... People will say a lot of things to explain their behavior, just a reasonable-sounding explanation, or maybe in her case it was almost like a exaggerated something or other. It sounded, sounds exaggerated to me. But, um, you know, that's another, that's another part of the human personality. <laughs> we, we create reasonable-sounding ex- explanations for things that um, maybe ought to be looked into a little more deeply. Agreed. And not just reasonable sounding explanations, but I find that people make beautiful, beautiful explanations. Oh, I'm really doing this because I care about somebody else. Not yeah, to, 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 yeah, to support their own self. No, not, not, you know, you're, you're just covering it over like a kitty out there. <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, we have to be on to ourselves, you know. To, to we do this have work, we have to, to be, be curious. on to ourselves somehow. And that's why I am so insistent with people that we all have good helpers on our side. Yeah. Nobody can do this alone. That's right. And and this we can create a world of healing. All of us if we lean into that because almost almost everybody needs a smile or a touch or a healing word or just a little time to be listened to. So important. I talk about the wise woman tradition as a tradition that heals with nourishment, and I say that nourishment is a three-legged stool. It is obviously the things we put into our mouths. We think of that as nourishment first. But it is also the nourishment of story, of having your story heard, and the nourishment of simple ritual. Yes, yeah. 
what what we put into our psyches is is just as important as what we put into our bodies with food. And you help people first of all to discern what's in their psyche. Yeah. And then they wish to to change it. And one of the things that I find myself saying over and over again is it's not possible to change this until you acknowledge it and accept it. That's right. That's one of the basic laws of change. You have to be where you are and accept where you are to to move anywhere. And so you might have to see that you're kind of poisoning yourself with false beliefs about yourself, about you know you're to blame or why couldn't I have that type of thing. We start out we start out with awareness and acceptance, and then that can lead to change. I think we all have um, in our hearts that wonderful um, little thing with Gabor Mate where this woman is saying that her husband has called her this terrible thing. And he says, well, what if I call you, you know, like a a fat giraffe? And she laughs. And what if I call you, you know, like a a 40-foot penguin? And she laughs. And he says, well, why are you laughing at those things? She says, because they're not true. He says, well, does that mean you think that this other thing is true? Right. That's a great teaching story. I love right? It. it is like, you know, you're just like, you're so there with him and that woman, and you're not, it's like, boom, like a pail of cold water in your face, like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that, that brings in the distinction between whether you're operating from your prefrontal cortex that can reason and can think something through, like, well, yeah, I... If, if you called me a fat giraffe, I, I wouldn't take it seriously. So, you, you know, you're able to reason. But when we're triggered, unfortunately, all that ability to reason goes out the window and we just go to a very primitive fight-flight-freeze part of the being. And, I mean, that, that's a valid part of the being, too, if there's a real tiger in the room. Um, but that's another point that... Uh, I have to bring to bear when I'm talking to people about their triggers because when you're triggered, you're coming from that amygdala reptile part of your brain and, and you're not thinking straight. You are believing silly stories until you can connect, oh, wait, and you know, good conversation with Gabor will, will get, get you back connected to your prefrontal <laughs> cortex or a good conversation with anyone who's like attuned to you. So that that's, again, how we can contribute to each other's healing is tune to me, listen to me, and maybe I'll hear how silly some of my stories are and I'll get connected to to my higher brain instead of staying in the amygdala that's all amygdala. fear, flight. Wait, thank goodness for the amygdala. You know, when the chips are down, it's going to keep me alive. You need it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely you need, need it. You need to know when you need it. But it's a real hazard in modern civilization. Yeah, because most um, situations are not life-threatening, most interpersonal situations, because mostly that's the work where the triggers come up are with people who are important to you. If they weren't important to you and you didn't depend on them to some degree to get emotional needs met, you wouldn't be triggered by them. Can you say more about the fight, flight, and freeze response. I think it's really important, and so I'd like people to have a a richer understanding of what you're talking about. And then I think that what you do is pause, calm, and repair Mm -hmm. when you see that that's happening. Maybe you could talk about that as well. 
yeah, so I, I try to help people realize that there's nothing terribly wrong with you if you fly off the handle or explode in anger or shut down like a deer in the headlights. There's nothing terribly wrong with you. That happens to every human because there's this amygdala part of the brain that's always scanning for danger because its job is your survival. So in the amygdala's job is to think that that might be a tiger in the bush, even if it's just the wind rustling the bushes and, you know, run like hell, because that is about survival. But nowadays, like we were just saying, not that many issues are about survival, but humans still are kind of like saddled with this primitive part of the brain that as, as, as you and I have said, it's necessary when there's a car coming at you real fast and you've got to react without thinking, you know, hop out of the way or something like that. But when it's not a survival issue, that amygdala can still, if, if you're getting old, pain, triggered, that felt almost like life-threatening because some, well, some traumas that have happened to some of us were life-threatening, or they were so threatening to our self-esteem or our sense of self. So they get tied up then as survival issues. They get tied up in our subconscious. So we're scanning. Now we're not scanning for tigers. We're scanning for the danger of a critical tone of voice or somebody walking away from us when we were hoping to be close and connected. So that's the territory now of the amygdala when it's not really a survival issue. But the point of the fight, flight, freeze and the amygdala lesson, you know, I like to teach the little lesson. The reason is to help people realize that, yeah, you've got this potential for a runaway freight train of emotions inside of you, and it's going to be a little bit of work to recognize when that's happening and pause it so you don't do more damage to the relationship. Uh, so the lesson basically first teaches you, well, we've all got one, so try, try not to be too hard on yourself. And also it's a very powerful force, this fight-flight-freeze. And different ones of us kind of gravitate toward one of those three Fs. Some of us are more fighters. Some of us flee, which means like changing the subject or trying to talk talk me out of my feelings, that's called flight in interpersonal terms. And then freeze is like, I don't know what to say, I'm going blank, deer in the headlights. So our listeners can probably identify kind of their favorite F that they go into. And there's a couple of others, fold, which is basically just kind of collapse, and fawn. So there's actually five Fs that trauma therapists talk about. Fawn is is like giving the other person way too much power. Yes, you're right. Anything you say, that type of thing. So all of us humans have it, to it, deal it, with It's what us. I call giving your power to mommy, daddy, God. Yes. Doctor. Yeah. Mommy, daddy, yeah. doctor, God. Yeah. And it, it, it's generally, it's a signal that one of your core fears has been activated, like the fear of being abandoned or rejected. And what that core fear is about is a core need, like the need to feel loved, 
the need to feel valued and respected. Those are basic human needs. A core need is not being met. So all of this fight, flight, freeze stuff is really about very valid needs of yours. And so if we know how to read the signals instead of just getting caught up in the mind stories like um, I'll never get what I want in this life or people are out to get me or you can't trust people, you know, those mind stories that are protective but not very helpful, um, what we want to be able to do is understand the workings of this subconscious part of the brain so we don't, so we don't believe the stories that get spun by that part of the brain. So, um, so that's the main lesson, I think, in terms of the amygdala and the fight-flight-freeze. But then you alluded to, well, what do you do when you're caught in that response? And I teach people how to notice the early warning signs that you're starting to go into fight-flight-freeze or to, or to inventory. I have this thing called the trigger signature exercise in the, in the book, From Triggered to Tranquil, where you think about a time when you were triggered and then you assess all the different elements of it, like what did I do, what did I think, what did my body do, and what were my emotions. And pretty soon you get to know the territory of your triggers so you can recognize them more quickly, pause, and stop, do, stop doing that thing that is acting out of fight, flight, freeze, and start connecting with those core needs, like the need to feel loved, the need to feel respected, those are what's underneath these trigger reactions. And then once you connect, like through that good mother, compassionate witness work, once you connect with that deeper, more real part of yourself, you can communicate from that place and be vulnerable with people and ask for what you want, and sometimes you can get your needs met. <laughs> yes, yes, I say ask for what you want. You won't always get what you want. Maybe even half the time the answer will be no, but if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yeah, I'm 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 with you there, Susan, and ask for what you want liberally, all as much as you can, and if if the other person isn't there for you, you can still be there for yourself. Right. You know, it's I find women especially usually think about what they want, then they compromise what they want, and they put that out as their first offering. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when they the book, have to compromise control more, patterns, they walk you know? away feeling like, oh, I yeah. didn't get what I wanted. I'm I like, didn't well, get what I wanted because, yeah, yeah, like because I, I didn't ask for it in, in, in a clear enough way. The best way, of course, is it's got some vulnerability to it. It, it kind of shows the person your need and doesn't just say, well, here's what you need to do to make me happy. You, you say, you know, I've been longing for some time where we just sit together and be present to one another without words. And that you, just, you just say it in a way well, that you're feeling your need while you're speaking it. So there's a whole art to asking for what we want in a way that would uh, more, be more successful. It, I, yes, there are ways that people tell me what they want, and it activates the stingy part of me. Uh-huh, yeah, me too, I've read that. Right, and I'm like, I'll never give that to you. And part of that is because pe pe 
this is a very vulnerable area asking for what you want and and when and there's a lot of triggers around that so we've developed a lot of self-protective patterns around asking such as oh i'll do that for you if you'll do that for me or hey i cooked the meal so it's your turn to do the dishes those are kind of manipulative strategies and and they have a control element to it and um so that's likely to activate some people's stinginess if they have any issues about uh, being controlled, for example. Right. <laughs> you know, whereas I can be asked the exact same thing in a different way, and I'll, you know, do whatever the person wants. Yeah, yeah. And, like and, the part of me that says, oh, I'll give you anything is activated. And I look at that and I say, yeah. isn't that interesting? Yeah, and what's the difference here? And we could all ask ourselves, what do we think the difference is? And one of the things that I think is it's you're being vulnerable with your need in a way that's not demanding. There's no, you know, there's no, if you don't do this, (laughs) there's going to be hell to pay. And you're just stating it. And as you make the request, you actually, the asker actually knows that no is a possible answer. Because that, when you when you open your heart and ask for something, but you're aware that no is a possible answer, you you have a different flavor to how you're asking. But don't take my word for it. Um, try that on. I want to ask people to try, try on some will, of these ideas. I will sometimes say, I want to ask you something, and I want to remind you that I can accept your no. Nice. Very nice. And I think that's extremely helpful for people, so... I would uh, I, I do that too. Yeah, yeah, and that was I hope in that way that they will give me a real answer because I really don't like it when people say yes but mean no. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone there. Oh boy! As a matter of fact, when I what I say to people is. Um, if you're undecided, say no, because nobody will ever get mad at you for getting back to them and saying, you know, I changed my mind, it's yes. Perfect, perfect, yeah. And but so many of yes us and then need, get back and say yeah, no. So, so many of us need, yeah, need permission. <laughs> you know, we, women especially need permission to say no and to say what we feel if it's going to upset or displease. So these are little techniques, what we're talking about now, like reminding people that no is okay and so forth. Little techniques. I'm having such a good time talking to you and listening to you. It's hard for me to believe that we have just about talked all of our time (laughs) up, and it's a blog (laughs) talk show, and they slam the door on us. So please tell us just a little bit about your books, where to get your books, and how listeners can contact you. Okay. Well, my website is susancampbell.com. And you ought to just subscribe to my newsletter because I have some free events. I have a free monthly group coaching call. I have other other events. And uh, I have 11 books uh, all about relationships and authenticity and uh, getting triggered and self-healing. So um, I would say just go to SusanCampbell.com and hit subscribe on the home page there, and you'll learn about everything I do. Perfect. I envision that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And I want to thank you for the strength of the threads that you bring to this weaving and the way that you enlarge the pattern so that other threads that may not have thought there were room for them find a way to get in. It's Mm. really 
beautiful work that you're doing, Susan. Thank you so much. Mm, thank you. And Sarah Ellen, thank you for all of your help at the Comfrey Conference and with the St. Jones John's Wort Conference that we're getting together. And thank you for being my homestead buddy. I really love you. Herbal medicine is people's medicine. It's the medicine that grows right outside your door. Good night and green blessings, everybody. I love you, Susan.